Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told Jesus about her. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning, everybody. You know, one of the shortcomings of preaching from an iPad is people text you as you get into the pulpit, so I have to turn my notifications off here. Uh, last week, if you were here, we talked about stewardship, and if you were here, you know I had two quick points uh, that wealth and our money tells us a lot about ourselves, what we value. And then secondly, I talked about how wealth and money, specifically the love of money, uh, can keep us from learning to trust in God. And that's a really, really, really important point. Because as I said last week, uh, faith is not about believing that God exists. God does not care if you believe he exists because everybody believes that God exists in some form or another. So put that aside, man. God does not care if you believe he exists. And the word faith in Scripture in the New Testament does not mean an intellectual assent to a truth claim. The word for faith is the Greek word pistis, which means to trust or to be loyal to someone. So the whole point I'm trying to make here, and I hope you got this last week, and if not, I'm going to say it again. The whole Christian life, the whole Christian walk, being a Christian is about one thing, right? Learning to trust in Jesus. Amen? That's it. I mean, that's not it. <laughs> it's not easier said than done sometimes, but learning to trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that is what faith is all about. That's what relationships are all about. All relationships are based on trust. Let me, I mean, think about it logically, right? How many of you say, oh yes, John is my friend because I believe that he exists? Anybody? Anybody, uh, how many of you base your relationship with your husband or your wife on the fact that they live? Well, yes, in fact, I do believe that Kathy Rodriguez exists. That's my wife, by the way. Little lady's right over there. Uh, but not, and just think about it. What makes a person influential in your life is not that they exist in some ephemeral sense, but that you can rely on them, that you can lean on them, that you wait for it, that you trust them. You see my point here? Faith in God is not unlike faith in people in general, that, we that the Christian walk is about learning to trust Jesus Christ more and more. And the minute that you're, you move your faith from an intellectual exercise to a change in how you live your life, now you're on to something. Now you're getting somewhere. Now you're beginning to see how Jesus changes lives for good because he is worthy of our trust. He is trustworthy. And the reason I'm saying all that is because if you don't believe me, I'm going to show you this morning, it's always that way. Every human heart that comes to faith in Jesus Christ this morning, our case study are these four guys, Simon, Andrew, Peter, and John, and Simon's mother-in-law. Get to her in a minute. But the whole point of the Christian walk for anybody, you or me or them, are people that begin to learn to trust Jesus more and more. That's the whole point. So I'm going to look at three points today. As we begin to understand who this Jesus guy is, what he is, frankly, I want to look at three things right out of the text from today. I want to look at a growing confidence in who he is. Point one, a growing confidence. Secondly, we see an extension of his power. It's point number two. And then finally, we see the joy of a changing life, changing lives, frankly. We see 
a growing confidence in who this guy is, right? An extension of his power, Jesus' power. And then finally, the joy of changed lives. So first thing about what it's like to learn to trust in Jesus, first thing is we begin to see in the story and in your life a growing confidence in who he is. Let me just say again that the, the Christian faith is a process. Learning to trust in Jesus, learning to have faith in him is a process. It takes time, and I'll prove it to you. People say, well, I had a road to Damascus experience. Even a great big whiz-bang, knock-em-off-your-horse experience like Paul had, the proverbial, I have seen the light, like the Blues Brothers and Paul. That may happen to you. It doesn't usually. In my case, it was not that dramatic, but for some people it is. But even when that happens, learning to trust in Jesus takes time. St. Paul, if you don't know this, when he was knocked off his horse, he went for 14 years to Egypt before he started his ministry. One four. It wasn't like he was knocked off his horse and next day he's out preaching the gospel. No, man. My point is, learning to trust in Jesus takes time. For Paul, for you, and for me. Faith is a process learning to trust him. Interestingly, side note, that is not true for demons. Demons know who he is immediately. If you read a little bit earlier in our text, we read last week, we read a story that Jesus goes into the synagogue, and there's a man with an unclean spirit. Imagine that, demons in church. Yes, they're there. And the demon with an unclean spirit says, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Here's the thing, right? Demons know immediately who he is, because they can see under the through the veil, right? You and I have to learn experientially by learning to trust him who this guy is, what he can do for human beings, me and you and everybody, including the people in the story. Learning to trust Jesus, friends, becoming a faithful Christian takes time. It is a process. We see it with these four guys, Andrew, James, John, and Peter, and their mother-in-law whom Jesus heals. They hear him teach. Look back a little bit earlier. They hear him teach. He teaches with authority. They see him casting out demons, and the Greek word was read last week that they were astounded by him, meaning, I'll give you like a rough translation. Dude, I have no idea what's going on here, but whatever it is, it's big. That was my translation. They see Jesus casting out demons. He teaches with authority, meaning he teaches not like I'm teaching, but he's teaching like he's God himself. And they're thinking, holy Toledo, what is going on here? They were astounded, to use Mark's words, but notice something important. They changed. Those four guys saw him in the temple the week right before this, and they're beginning to be changed. They begin to see that Jesus really does change people. Listen, they are experientially beginning to trust him. How do I know? Because they leave the synagogue and they think, what in the world is going on with this Jesus guy? Something's, something's going on here. And they go to Peter's mother-in-law's house and his mother-in-law is sick with a fever. Not just sick, not just the coronavirus. She's really sick. She's uh, dying. And they bring Jesus to her. Listen, and this experience doesn't just change Jesus's mother-in-law. It changes them. They learn by watching him that he can be trusted. Let me give you, tell you a story, which I have permission to share with you, a pastoral story. A, f- a few years ago, uh, I received a phone call from a friend of mine uh, that her mother was, she didn't use this term, but it's what the uh, VNA would say, the, that her mother was 
actively dying. I don't like that term, but you get the point. Uh, she called me. Mother wasn't really a churchgoer. Father wasn't really a churchgoer. Uh, but I said, listen, let me just swing by, and I'll just pay a visit, and I'll pray. Great, that'd be a wonderful come on by. So I did. I came over to administer the sacraments, to uh, provide last rites, anointing, and all of that sort of thing. I will do that for anybody who asks. So I walk into the home, into this house, which was now, if you've been in this situation, you know how it goes. People gather from all around. I mean, the, the hour is drawing nigh. And uh, I walk in the house full of family. I didn't know a soul in that house except for my friend who had invited me in. And I'll say this, and again, I'm not, I'm not like trying to be overly dramatic here, but it was a little tense, right? I mean, not in a threatening way, but I mean, you know this. When the priest walks in, you know that the situation, if you were under any illusion, when the guy with the black shirt walks in, this is a big deal. And I'm used to it. I've done this a hundred times. So I walk in, and my friend brings his mom's in here, so I walk in, past family and everything, you know, a few pleasantries, walk in, and I lean down, and she was asleep, and I walked over to the bedside, and I said, Deidre, my name is Father Rodriguez, and I'm here to pray for you and give you the body and blood of Jesus and get you ready for heaven. She's laying there, asleep, like Simon's mother-in-law, and she opened her eyes. I could see it like it was this morning. She opened her eyes, she says, oh, hello. I'm paraphrasing here a bit, but the gist of it was, oh, hello, I'm glad to see you. How are you? And the minute she opened her eyes, I had sensed something had just happened. I didn't know what it was. I had no idea. I was just sort of there doing what I do. And I chatted with her briefly, and I, and I walked her through confession, and I prayed over the, her. I administered the sacrament. I anointed her. I prayed the Lord's Prayer, which she prayed with me. And I said to her, Deidre, I'm going to pray for you. I said, will you pray for me, which I always do with somebody who's getting ready to die. I said, will you pray for me? And she said to me, and I found out just the other day these were her last words, I will pray for you from heaven. She fell back asleep, and after a short time, I, I left. I've done this hundreds of times. Anyway, this is where it gets strange. Not strange, really cool, actually. <laughs> My friend called me later on that day, and she said, you know, I want to thank you for coming. I said, oh, happy to do it. My pleasure. She said, you have no idea what happened. And I said, well, I was there. I anointed your mom, and we, I gave her last rites. I had that. She said, no, no, you don't understand. My mother had been in a coma for 48 hours. She had been completely unresponsive to anything, hadn't spoken in two or three days. Until you walked in, I had no idea about any of that. Until you walked in, and you walked in and she woke up, and that's when I could feel something had kind of shifted in the room. Because the family, to use Mark's words, right, the family was literally astounded, right? What just happened? And she was completely alert. I gave her a communion, we prayed, a small talk, it was a great visit, I remember it very clearly. And then I left and she went back to sleep and never woke up. And eventually that experience, that experience continues to resonate in my brain, continues to change me, continues to teach me to trust him more. But even more importantly, her husband said to me, you know, I wasn't raised a Christian. I don't really know anything about this Christianity thing, but I do know one thing. I saw that. I know this is real. And I baptized him. That encounter, friends, changed not just Driedra, changed the whole family. I go to their house now for dinners and cocktails and stuff, and I'm, it's great. But, but the point I want you to see here is that 
this is real, man. And the way you learn it is by seeing Jesus in action. I've seen it a hundred times. Here's my question for you. Have you ever brought Jesus to someone? My friend did when she asked me to go. And I brought Jesus when I went. Because in that moment, when way back when, when I was in that room with Deidre, that moment was powerful. It changed the family. It changed me. Why? Because all of us, friends, are growing in our trust in Jesus Christ. We were and we are learning experientially that he does what he says and he says what he does, right? That's what a trustworthy person does. When we follow Jesus, friends, we begin to build trust in him as we see him in action, as we see him actually changing lives for good. This has been my second point then. We see Jesus' extension of power. I'm going to show you something here. These three men, they bring Jesus to Simon's mother-in-law, and Jesus offers to restore her. Mark, Mark says this is a really cool word. You, you probably wouldn't know this. In fact, I didn't know this until this past week when I was doing my study. Mark says that Jesus came and, uh, and took her by the hand. And the image we have in our mind is sort of like Obi-Wan Kenobi, right? Like Jesus walks in and does like a wah, right? Or he does like a bing, touches her, and she springs to life. Nope. The, the, Greek, the Greek word for there is he touches her, took her by the hand. is one word in Greek. It's the Greek word aigiro. And it doesn't just mean to touch somebody. It means to go to them and wake them up, to stir them, which means that Simon's mother-in-law was asleep, like Deidre had been when I went to see her. And he wakes her up, kind of like anybody have kids to go to, have to get up to go to school in the morning. You go into their room and you say, hey, Grace, it's time to get up. Hey, Mary, it's time to get up. That's the idea here. Jesus says, hey, wake up. And Jesus invites her, he gives her her hand, he grabs her, and he lifts her up. But I want you to, I want you to see something here. I want you to, it's real subtle, but I want you to notice it. She has to respond to him. I mean, God takes the initiative, right? Jesus initiates the healing. Get up. He acts, but she responds. If at some point, she puts enough trust in him. Again, it's all about learning to trust him. At some point, she puts enough trust in him to actually stand up. To respond to his call. I mean, let, let me ask you this, because it's a possibility. What if Peter's mother-in-law had said, no thanks? <laughs> hey, Agiro, get up. No, nah, I'm staying right here. You say, well, that's, that's crazy. Who would refuse God's call? Well, most people do. <laughs> most people do. Most people would rather complain, whine, blame God, make excuses, feel sorry for themselves become victims of their circumstances. I mean, my God, our whole modern political system, being woke, it's the new thing now, is about blaming somebody else for your circumstances, right? That's what it's about. People like Jesse Jackson, or there's lots of people who have done this, and it's on both sides of the aisle, who have made careers creating dissension, encouraging victimizing and blame. And now in one sense, I'm not arguing, I mean, in one sense, that's probably true. All of us have had things done to us that are not right or fair or just. Everyone has had hard knocks. Everyone has had things done to them or said about them that, aren't, that are hurtful. We live in a fallen world. But here's the key, right? Don't stay stuck there, man. Jesus will rescue us from that if we will accept his gift, being existentially changed when he wakes us up. He requires you. He requires Peter's mother-in-law to let go of the old ways, the old things, the way, her sickness. In our context, to forgive others, to forgive yourselves, forgive God, to move forward. And most people, and this is, this is the tragedy of it, 
Most people are unwilling to do that. Most people stay stuck. Most people, most people stay victims rather than victors. So here's my question for you today. Where has Jesus lifted you up? Where has Jesus offered his healing to you and where have you seen it, right? Always be prepared to offer our testimony for the hope that is in you. 1 Peter 3.15. What part of your life right now are completely out of your own control, right? And you can't fix, and can't fix it. Have you asked Jesus to heal you? Have you asked Jesus for help? Have you asked Jesus for assistance in your brokenness? Man, stuckness, and I made that up. If you want to use it, feel free. It's on me. Stuckness is a common thing. It's sort of our default setting, isn't it? We may not like where we are, but at least it's familiar. But friends, Jesus won't leave you there, man. Jesus will not leave you there. He will offer, he will extend his power to you. Ask him. So we see this, this, these apostles' confidence in Jesus growing by, by and they, we see him bringing him to her. And then finally, and this is the coolest part, we see the joy of a changed life. Mark says that he took her by the hand, a giron, and he lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. Now, lots of people read this. I've heard this preached like, oh, okay, so Dale went into the room to heal his mother-in-law because Jesus and his pals were just looking for a ham sandwich, right? Well, maybe not ham. They're Jewish. Chicken salad. You know what I mean, right? I had, I had somebody, I've heard somebody preach this, this example. They heal her mother, his mother-in-law, and this is another, aha, another example of Christian misogyny, wokeness in action, right? Nonsense. See, for, here's the thing I want you to understand. It's so powerful what's going on here. You wouldn't know this unless you're a first century Jew, so I'm going to tell you. For a first century Jewish man or woman who had guests, had visitors, and not provide for them would be would be an enormous um, occasion of shame. You see this in the South sometimes. You don't see it much in Vero Beach. But if you go to like Charleston, South Carolina, you'll see it. That if you go to someone's home, and it, it's, it's kind of a shame and honor culture, right? I don't mean it disparagingly. It just is what it is. You go to someone's home, and they will lavish food on you. It would be an insult to the guest and an incredible social faux pas and an embarrassment and almost irrecoverable, shameful, for that woman to not be able to provide for her guests. And this is why I want you to hear this, because Jesus is not healing her for his own benefit, that he wants a chicken sandwich or something. No. He is healing her to, listen, he is healing her to save her from shame. He is healing her to save face for her. He removes her shame. He removes her guilt. He frees her. And as a result... As a consequence, she serves. And you know what? It's always that way. We call it ministry, but it's, and so it sounds overly spiritual, but it's the, it's, the, it's the reality that ministry always flows from a converted heart. Somebody who has been changed by Jesus always wants to serve. There's an old expression, Sharon Murbogger, my former priest's wife, used to say, she'd say, you know, Father, hurt people hurt people. That's great. It's so, so true. She'd say, you know, hurt people hurt people. That's true. But you know what else is true? Forgiven people forgive people. Changed people change people. Saved people save people. Healed people heal people. If you are a Christian and you're growing in your trust in the Lord 
and you really get what Jesus has done for you on the cross, his ministry to you, then it, like, like Peter's mother-in-law, it cannot but make you want to serve. Thankfulness and action always flow from a converted heart that has met Jesus and been changed. Don't tell me about this Jesus, uh, Simon's mother-in-law being somehow subservient. No, man, she is empowered to minister in thankfulness for her Lord who has healed her. You know, in the, uh, there's a book called The Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren. Anybody ever read it? The best, book of the, the best part of the book is the first couple words. The opening of the book is, what on earth are you here for? What on earth are you here for? Well, here it is. Here's the answer. Right? Simple. To trust Jesus and to minister in his name. To follow Jesus and to see his power working in, on, and through you. To see his power firsthand in your life and then go and do likewise. To bring others to Jesus. Ready to serve as Christ has served you. Shall we pray, Father, we are reminded this morning that faith is a journey, faith is a process of learning to trust you, who you are, and indeed what you do in our lives and those around us. Giving, give us a growing confidence, Lord, in you. Open our eyes to see your power at work in the world around us. Help us to live lives of joy and a changed life who ministers to others. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinitybureau.org and follow us on Facebook.